0: Now you understand that in these series I'm simply continuing from where I was at the end of the last teaching. We break them up into 30 minute sections so it's easy for you to follow, but if I were giving a set of lectures I would simply take a break and I would resume right where I was. So you must keep that in mind as you listen to these messages. The last time I was talking about the temptations of Jesus, and what we learn from them regarding the methodologies of the enemy that he has incorporated and developed to fullness in this beast of His, to whom He gives His power, His throne and great authority. This is the beast that is presented in Daniel 7 as a beast with ten horns and in Revelation 13 it's presented again as the beast, this time with seven heads and ten horns. So the seven horns, or kings, sit on these seven heads. Uh, The horns themselves represent the power of the beast, the head represents the wisdom and the knowledge of the beast. So there are seven systems because His kingdom is systemic, the cosmos. I've gone into all of that before and I won't repeat it now. But I I bring that back to talk about the final of the three temptations in the wilderness at this time uh, with which the enemy presented Christ. The first was, command these stones to be made into bread, which was, feed yourself. And Jesus' response distinguishing the Logos and the Rhema, and how uh, the, the revealed word of God configures you in the moment to a higher level of sonship, higher level of the Logos. So as Jesus was, so shall you be in this present world. And the response then was: you, you cannot tempt the Lord your God. He's greater than a religious identity, He is the Son, I am the Lord your God and the fact that you picked the temple to put me in the setting in the temple, albeit on the parapet, the highest highest point of the temple, I am not of that, I am not of that order. That's not where He preserves me. So if I cast myself down, From the pinnacle of the temple, he will preserve me by uh, by the law. No. The word is alive. The word is living. And the fact that you can quote it does not mean that you understand it, for indeed you've quoted the wrong, you've, you've applied the scripture wrongly. I am the Lord your God. In this way we will understand when the deception of the enemy comes by uh, blasphemous words from the little horn that speaks blasphemies against the dwellers in heaven, against heaven itself, against the majesty of God, we will not be co-opted by religious words. Have you noted how in this present struggle to define culture, how prominently religious words have come to be featured. Love your enemy is prominently featured. Um, Be kind to your brother where all humanity is suddenly our brother um, as opposed to brethren being born of the same womb as defined in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 11. So it's a conflation of ideas, deliberately meant to be confusing and to confuse, within an environment rife with strife, some of which targets the very survival of nations. And ultimately, the survival of the species. So, great motivation, great and powerful motivations for the misuse of Scripture. The enemy knows that the undiscerning soul of man will agree with Scripture that is used for destructive purposes <clears throat> and it knows only the spirit of man can receive the rhema which transforms the being into a higher, more uh, mature version of the huas, because rule is given to the huas. This is my beloved, we us listen to him the rest the restored man is a mature son when he encounters the mature son who does not derive his significance or his identity from any religious form then he's reduced to nothing more than threats threats and intimidation So again, verse 8, Matthew 4, the devil took him up on an exceeding high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, "'All these things I will give you if you will fall down, <coughs> pardon me, and worship me. So, in the progression of the sun, in the progression of the temptations of the mature sun, the enemy is very sparse, very economical in his approach. And he reserves the greater trials or temptations, for the effort that relates to encountering the Son who is more mature. If He can knock you off at a lower level, that's what He'll do. Because higher levels have to reveal His intentions and there's a danger in the intentions of the enemy being revealed. So. He will tempt you with provision, uh, bread, to see if that works on you. If that doesn't work, He will tempt you with a religious context, He will contextualize you religiously and will suggest scripture which if applied in a religious context will physically destroy you. When those do not work, he is reduced to base threats and vulgar intimidation, because in the end, that's who he is. That's all he has left. But that's his reserve of strength and power. That's the card that he holds to. The, that, that's the ace he holds in his game. He has a penchant for high places because in high places you can see further. It gives the soul a more breathtaking view of its vulnerability. It wants the soul to feel overwhelmed because he understands that it is in those lofty uh, locations that he is able to introduce the soul to the ultimate of its vulnerabilities. So he takes him into an exceeding high mountain. By the way, too, The exceeding high mountain conveys an aura of accomplishment to the enemy. Uh, He belongs here, in the eerie, in the high places. But indeed he cannot ascend to heaven and he certainly is unable to approach the throne of God without being invited, having been cast out. So all of this is choreography for the soul, all of this is the dress rehearsal, the, the, the posturing, the uh, choreography that presents Him as being defined by the context of high, mighty and exalted, and He's not. We are the lords of creation. The mature son has been restored to rule, to having dominion in creation, which is to say that he has the right to represent the Father and that right of representation is supported by the entire economy of heaven, all that is in creation all that is in heaven and on earth, serves the representation of the Father by the Son to a fallen world. Ours is not to come in and infiltrate the systems that the enemy has created, how are you going to turn the corrupt into the holy? Because the one who conceived these systems conceived them out of the corruption of his rebellion for the express purpose of entrapping the sons of God who would be foolish enough to rely upon these systems or even to acknowledge their rightfulness of being. No, we we have not come to, to infiltrate these systems and to make them serve the kingdom of God, for heaven's sake. How foolish is such a thought. Have we not read where Jesus promises to translate us out of and into, out of the kingdom of darkness which is to lift you up out of the systems of the cosmos and to deposit you under the rule of Christ and within the governance of these systems of the kingdom. When is the education system being one of the systems? Or the judicial system, or the political system, or the financial system? When are they going to receive apostles? And what would apostles do to those systems? They would bring back the rule of Christ. How would that change things? Well for one thing it changed the financial system, from based in usury to having everything in common. You see, the people who talk about the seven mountains and uh, invading the systems because we have the, the creation mandate, they don't know what they're talking about. The creation mandate functions in the kingdom of heaven and it's overseen not by every Tom, Dick and Harry, it's overseen by by qualified representatives of the kingdom of heaven and the purpose is not for human survival, the purpose is to put the glory of God on display as the engineer of these systems that bring an environment of righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit into the earth. As long as man is the final arbiter, he will resist the Spirit of God. So these are just made up doctrines by people who are looking for something to say. They don't understand the order of God and the duality of the kingdoms and the inevitable conflict of these kingdoms, both moving forward until they reach the highest point of their existence until they reach the apogee. So no, there will not be an infiltration of the systems of the cosmos, but it'll be, the cosmos will become all the more the cosmos. What there will be though, is a confrontation of the systems of the cosmos in the systems of the kingdom of heaven and its governmental form and its rule and the result of how its people look vis-a-vis how the people of the earth look. That's when men will say, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, but the mountain of the Lord won't come down to them. They must quit these seven heads and come up because the kingdom of God is above, it's above, it's not where they dwell. It's like a city on a hill, It's visible. Its it's ways, its methodologies, its goals, all of that are well known, need to be well known in order to attract. Like men light a candle and put it on a a bushel or or, or covering, they set it on the house, or on the mantle in the house to give light to all who are in the house. So the enemy wants you to come into his kingdom. That's what I'm saying. That's why these gospels have to be debunked because they're leading people in the wrong direction. What does the enemy say? Takes him to the exceeding high mountain, shows him the kingdoms of the world and the glory of these kingdoms and says to him, if you will fall down and worship me. If you will fall down and worship me. These, the language here is particularly important. In understanding what he means by, means by takes him to an exceeding high mountain and shows him the kingdoms of the world. The language here is quite telling. The word for kingdom is basilio. The Latin word, the Latin derivative of the Greek term is basilica. And it means a foundation or basis of power and rule. So he's not talking about, for heaven's sake, he's not talking about Greece and Rome and modern cities like uh, modern nations like America and Australia and China. That's not what he's talking about when he speaks of the kingdoms of the world, he's talking about showing the systems and their rule. So basileo or basileia is the Greek term. On what are these things based? What is the strategy for rule? what is the foundation of governance? Not merely the existence of these kingdoms but on what do they rest, what authority, what is the constituting authority? That's the word kingdom, shows Him the kingdoms of the cosmos, K-O-S-M-O-S, kingdoms of the world. That's what it means, look it up, so He shows the secrets of how He controls mankind with reference to those, the kingdoms, the things that are in the world, in the cosmos, uh, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. So He shows the foundations, the basilio, the kingdoms, of the cosmos. He shows how He rules over mankind. Now, he doesn't have to change that when Persia is defeated by Greece, which is defeated by the Romans, which is defeated or replaced by the Romans, which is replaced by subsequent nations, the British, the Americans, to bring it up to date. No, because all the systems of all these kingdoms function in the sovereignty of man's soul. We, the people, in the pursuit of life, liberty, and happiness. It's all about the human soul, regardless of the newest configurations of those things. It's the, that's what the basilio of the cosmos is. And so he says to him, says to Jesus, the devil showing him the schemes says to Him, I'm in control here. This is a bold move to intimidate. He's high and exalted because He wants to appear invincible, He shows Jesus how all the schemes that He has perfected up to that time and by the way, He will have perfected them so thoroughly that they can be described as the beast with seven heads and ten horns that crushes and devours the whole earth with the exception of the saints. He has to wage war against them differently, much the same way that He's waging war now against Christ in these set of temptations. He wages war with a, 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 from a horn that speaks blasphemously against heaven, against the Most High, etc. This is blasphemy when He's speaking like this to Jesus where He says, Fall down and worship Me and I will give you, all these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship Me. You should not have a moment's hesitation to recognize that this is blasphemy. If you are a true son of God, you will have not a moment's hesitation to hear the sound coming from Satan as exactly the same sound that comes out of that horn on the religious head of this beast at the end of the age it just has grown in amplitude, it's grown in scope and power, but it's the same sound. What does Jesus reply? I mean, what is He saying? All these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship Me. Why is this a temptation to Jesus? because it appeals to his soul. He has come to save mankind out of these systems, the reason might well be, if I own the systems then I can free people as I will. Well what's the catch? By falling down and worshiping, you've already ratified the theft of Adam's authority. He's wanting ratification of the illicit order that He has created and he's, by now he's convinced he's dealing with the Son and he changes tactics and in a bare knuckle fight, or so he thought, he's going to intimidate the Son to concede that the, what he has put in place as a result of having stolen the authority of Satan uh, of Adam must now is now so preeminent, so prominent and preeminent, in the whole Earth that no one can escape. He's making the argument you can't buy or sell without the permission of the beast, without changing your mindset from that of a son to that of one terrorized trying to save his own skin bare knuckle fight, the gloves come off at this point, fall down and worship Me. What does the false prophet require of the earth in the end of the age? He makes an image of the beast and he requires everybody, small and great, to fall down and worship the image of the beast. By taking this tact I'm just pushing back the darkness, clearing, bringing light and understanding so that you're not suddenly confronted with all of these very systems having reached their fullness of manifestation with the expressed intent as it always has been, from Adam through Christ to the end of the age, to put pressure on the place where the Son is joined to the Father. That's all He has, that's all He has, that's all He has to work with and that's what He's fully maximizing in the events that conclude the age. How does Jesus reply? to the invitation to fall down and worship Him which is the same invitation that will be given at the end of the age to worshiping the image of the beast. I'm not talking yet about what the image of the beast is, I'm, I'm just showing you that whatever it is, for, for, for this moment's argument, whatever it is, the, 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 the threat is the same, the intimidation is the same, and what is desired is the same because he wants the sons of God to concede that in the earth He is the final authority and our dominion, our mandate to rule as in, in, in the kingdom of God, rule and present the earth with the truth of who God is, much like a twelve inch stick is a standard, that's the notion of rule, it's not sitting and having people come and wait on you. Okay. His intent is to have those who belong to Christ fall down and worship Him. How does Jesus reply? Dismissively, dismissively, as if He's nothing. Away with you, Satan. get lost, a wave of the hand. That's what the mature son does to the pretender, that's what this mature son will do in the end of the age to the pretender. Dismissive, a wave of the hand. Another occasion he'd say, Get thee behind me, Satan, you have nothing to say. When Satan tempted Peter or when Satan spoke to Jesus through Peter, Dismissively, get thee behind me, Satan. Never argue with Satan, if you do, you give him authority where he doesn't have authority. Away with you, Satan. It is written, you will worship the Lord your God and you are a servant, you've never become more than that, you're just a servant. He will serve the Son. Then the devil left Him, and I want to add this bit here quickly, and angels came and ministered to Him. In these times the resources of heaven will be available and the servants, even of heaven, the angels, will appear in increasing proliferation to attend those who fully inhabit their status as the sons of God, not sons of God as immature ones who are still going to be attracted by the lust of their flesh, lust of their eyes and the pride of life. No, in fact that's, the majority, that's where the majority of believers are today sons of men in their thinking about their position as sons of God. God means to lift us up and change our mindsets regarding what exactly it means to be a son of God, the one who has died and been raised and brought to maturity in the new creation, born of the Spirit, becoming fully mature, as the Son of God. May grace and peace be with you. Uh, These messages are designed to cause your feet to not stray, firmly planted. All the trials and all the temptations and the wilderness of these times are meant to cause faith to arise in you. When you had faith to what you have known about God, the reality of the eternal becomes the reality out of which you live every day. I'm Sam Solon and I'll, I'll talk to you again, bye-bye.